reading from the book of Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 to 38. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who want to, to lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of God for the people of God. Hear these words from Mary Oliver, entitled, In Blackwater Woods. Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light, are giving off rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the ponds, and every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this. The fires and the black river of loss whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your life depends on it, and when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. Will you pray with me? Holy God, send your spirit upon us that as your scripture has been read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what it is you have to say to us this day. Amen. 
There is a new movie on Netflix. Y'all have Netflix? I'm always looking for whatever's new because I feel like I've watched everything else on it. It's called The Adam Project. Anyone? Anyone seen it yet? I hated it because it made me cry. I suppose otherwise it was good if you like crying during movies, which I do not, but I digress. In the movie, Mark Ruffalo plays a physics professor who is teaching his class one day, and there's this problem, and they're complaining about it. They're like, oh my goodness, that problem is so long and hard that it might take years to solve. And the professor says, yeah, because in physics, we have to be okay with making progress on a problem that we might never get to see the final solution too. But the students, it's brutal. Because why work on anything if you're not going to reap the reward of it, right? But that's kind of the tension in physics, apparently, and in the life of faith. And it can be heartbreaking. Reverend David Lowe's, um, one of those preachers that if you go to a lot of homiletic festivals and, and, you know, conferences like that, do you? Preaching festivals? Well, I do. Um, anyway, he's often one of those speakers. He also has written several books um, on preaching, and he is a pastor. He talks about today's scripture and the breaking of Peter's heart. So Jesus is talking with his disciples about these rumors that are going on around about him. And he finally asked, okay, disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter, full of inspiration, full of confidence, replies, you are the Messiah. Los writes, it's not hard to imagine that making that confession had to be one of the best moments in Peter's life. For there's something indescribably wonderful about recognizing and participating in a truth bigger than yourself, about naming a truth in a way that somehow makes it more true to your own experience. It's like saying, I love you for the first time to a beloved, and in saying it, realizing just how true it is, even truer than it was just a moment before. That's what happens when Peter, just outside of Caesarea Philippi, as with that confession, his heart brimming over with insight and faith begins to sing. And then only moments later, to break. Because Peter declares this heartfelt belief. And Jesus responds, but not in the way that Peter expects or imagines or wants. Jesus doesn't match Peter's high, Peter's insight, Peter's fulfillment in saying this. Instead, Jesus turns around and rebukes everybody. Now, don't you go be saying anything about this, about me, to anyone. And be ready. 
because there are bad things coming our way. But Peter is incredulous. He takes Jesus aside and says something like, you know, these aren't quite direct quotes, whoa, Jesus, you don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. What we're doing is trying to create a great kingdom. And that means good things in store, not this doom and gloom stuff. Maybe just tone that down a little bit. You're bumming everybody out. And Jesus again responds with a rebuke. Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Imagine how that would feel to Peter, a slap in the face, a complete heartbreak. Our poem today in this Lenten series, The Poetry of Lent, looking at different poems of Mary Oliver, this particular poem today in Blackwater Woods is about the beauty of a forest that has been destroyed by fire. Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light are giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the pond, and every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Mary Oliver, as a poet, was often criticized for her use of nature, trite, or writing about God, too abstract, too cliche. And I don't think that Oliver was a Christian. There is nothing so descriptive about her faith and her poetry. But there was something that especially early critics of her work failed to see, a depth of connection with the creation and the creator. So my bachelor's degree is in um, creative writing and actually an emphasis in poetry. And so I know a little bit about this. What I learned in my classes was that you never, ever wrote about something as nebulous or loaded as God or as amorphous as faith. Images only show, don't say. So if you were to look at Oliver's poetry from that lens, she does a lot of showing all of these images from nature. But she also uses words that have varieties of meanings. Like in Blackwater Water Woods, she uses the word meaning. What does that mean? Salvation, mortal, life. In a critic's eye, these words are too broad. They bring up too many thoughts. 
narrow it in, narrow it down, show what you mean. But Oliver kept writing and writing about a book every year or two throughout her career, actually. And she won the National Book Award in 1986 and in 84 was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for her poem in Blackwater Woods. In 2007, she was named America's Most Beloved Poet. I think she hung in there because she knew something that those early critics couldn't know at the time. That there is beauty in being amazed at the world around you. That what the birds sing and what the plants display is a show of divine love, of divine goodness, of divine compassion. This life, this creation, it's wild and messy and full of harshness, but also slow and open and full of beauty too. But unless we take the time to stop, to look, to be astonished, or as Oliver says, to hold it close and know when to let it go, we just might miss the whole point. I think that's why Jesus was so frustrated. He knew that what was to come was going to be different than what the disciples ever, ever expected. And not only that, it almost seems as if they refused to understand they are focused on human things, things that are fleeting. When Jesus is focused on divine things, things that will last. Matt Skinner writes, Peter's response is understandable in light of Jew Jewish messianic expectations, which are perhaps not so very different from what we want in a savior. We want someone who's strong and powerful, someone who will rescue us from our troubles and defeat our enemies. Too often in popular evangelism, Jesus is presented in this way, as a kind of superhero who solves every problem for us, as a guarantor of prosperity and success. And nothing could be further from what Jesus has in mind. Because Jesus is playing a long game, one that invites all of us to play a part in creating the kind of kingdom that God would want. It wasn't and isn't about toppling governments or riding in on white horses to wield power and prestige. Instead, it's about something so much harder to describe. It's about changing hearts. It's about letting love reign above all else. It's about taking power and giving it to people, especially those who have been powerless due to gender, ethnicity, culture, orientation, identity, on and on. It's not flashy or glittery or wrapped up in one story or in one hour. And it's probably a problem 
that we won't ever see an ultimate solution to. But we are asked to be a part and to consider our own lives and put our energies into the things that will last, the things that are divine over the fleeting human things. And hopefully move the answer forward a little bit, at least, in our time. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.